Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Thank you so much to everybody who listened to the episode all about streaming anime and the streaming landscape of anime um, that I did last time. I don't do many, like, naval gazy talk about the, the structure of the superstructure shows, but I like... But I, th- I think about it actually more, way more than I probably even give out on this podcast, which, to be fair, is probably a lot more than anybody expects of me or maybe even wants. But thanks for listening. If you haven't and you're interested in my thoughts on ramifications of, sh- like, all anime being streamed, basically, um, you can go listen to it. It's the last episode in the feed. Um... So, and also, thanks everybody who's probably still listening to the Mob Psycho show, because that was, me and Slate had a lot of fun doing that. Um, I am thinking of doing a separate kind of show, that I am going to talk about shows in which they are trash, because I have, I have a hole in my heart. It needs to be filled with hot dumpster garbage. <laughs> and what I mean by that is I have, like, this desire to watch, like, the worst thing I can find in any season lots of times. And for a while, for a long time, that was just occupied by Black Clover. And if you want my opinions on Black Clover, you can go listen to a podcast in which I drag that show through the dirt. <laughs> Because it's awful. And then... A miracle happened, really. (laughs) I stopped... Making the first thing I do with my week every week. Watching Black Clover while I eat breakfast. Or sometimes while I was still in bed. Because... I believed in myself enough... To stop watching that fucking dumpster trash. And then... I felt an emptiness... Until, until, I started watching interspecies reviewers. Oh God! I, I somehow slid, slid like backwards. I slid like backwards and down a hill, like in a way that's like I'm waving at Queen's Blade on the way to interspecies reviewers. Like, oh, a show that a dumpster fire, but not as bad as anti-species reviewed. Goodbye. I'll be down here with this trash. Um, but, yeah, I... That show... Oh, that third episode of that show. Like, if... So, if you watch nothing else of interspecies reviewed, I really, like, I want you to go listen to the third episode, to go watch the third episode of that program, because... Oh my god. I just... Uh, oh my god. Um, and also... Uh, on the thing that we'll be talking about today... Which you may have been able to guess from the... From the... A, the title of this episode... But from my track record with anime movies... And anime movie releases and all that stuff... Um... I took notes... Because I wanted to talk about very specific things with this movie. And I want to touch on things. So, before we get into the main part. 
basically. When big movies come out, lots of times I try and save the review unless I need to be convinced. Like, do I really want to go see this? Like, do I really want to go into the city to, like, a very specific movie theater to go see this movie? Um, I Then I will listen to reviews on... To, to reviews just to, like... Like, oh, yeah, that sounds like my jam. Let me go see that. Um, to give you an idea of a movie that I did this with. Um, I did that with Promare. And I'm really happy I did that with Promare because it convinced me. Because listening to, actually, Zach Bertie on Anime News Network convinced me, like, no, I really, like, I, I'm a fuck-up if I don't go see this in theater. And indeed... I would have felt like a fuck up if I thought I'm like I was like oh fuck really god damn it um but otherwise I'll save the reviews till after and what that means generally is because I'm I'm not an industry professional I don't have access to screenerd or anything I'd love to have access to screenerd eventually but currently I do not have access to screenerd that means that I don't see the movie in advance of everyone else being able to see it. And that also means that reviews are coming out around me as I am, like, formulating my plan on going to see a film, a, a anime film. And that means that I usually try and avoid them until after, and then once I go see it myself and I've formed my own opinion on it and I've come away from it and thought about it for a while, I listened to the review. And the movie that I'll be talking about this episode is Weathering With You. A special heavy rain advisory has just been issued in the Tokyo area. Would you like the rain to stop? So, what if you you're not familiar with... Your name, although if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen your name, I highly suggest even even if you know, even if you are fairly certain you won't like that movie, go watch that movie because it is at this point uh, it's an important like reference point, not only for this movie but for animation and anime as and that is. Because I think the way Zach put it, Zach Bertie from Anime News Network, um, the editor of Anime News Network actually, put it is, that movie is like a perfectly composed pop song. Everything about it is just right to make it feel like a produced version of Magic. It makes you feel the way of good pop song. Um, now, I talked about this in my, um, Your Name podcast, but that has, that hasn't always been what Makoto Shinkai had been good at. Largely what Makoto Shinkai is interested in as a storyteller is he's interested in separating people who have feelings for each other. And like showing that what what that is like for two characters in love to be separated by something either time space so if you're not familiar with 
your name, although if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen your name, I highly suggest, even, even if you know, even if you are fairly certain you won't like that movie, go watch that movie because it is, at this point, uh, it's an important, like, reference point. Not only for this movie, but for animation and anime. And that is... Because I think the way Dak put it, Dak Bertie from Anime News Network, um, the editor of Anime News Network actually, but it is that movie is like perfect, a perfectly composed pop song. everything about it is just right to make it feel like a produced version of Magic. That it makes you feel the way of good pop song. Um, now, I talked about this in my, um, Your Name podcast, but that has, that hasn't always been what Makoto Shinkai has been good at. Largely what Makoto Shinkai is interested in as a storyteller is he's interested in separating people who have feelings for each other. And like showing that what what that is like for two characters in love to be separated by something either time space literally outer space which makes time worse um and i'm gonna commit an an emotional war crime here i understand that but if you haven't seen voices of a distant star which is makoto shinkai's first film, he did it, like, all but by himself. Like, the only thing he didn't do is freaking voice act in voices for Voice of a Distant Star. Um, and that was only on, he was actually the voice actor for the male, for the male lead of that, of that film, and he got, some, he got a voice actress to do the female lead. Um, who is arguably the main character, so there you go. But his deal in that movie is it's about a girl who goes into outer space, who becomes a space pilot, and her boyfriend, who and they have a long-distance relationship that, because she's in outer space, the flow of time changes for her and him, and it's... Like, if you want to cry, boy, g- get yourself some freaking early Makoto Shinkai nonsense. Get yourself some Voices of a Distant Star at, like, 1 a.m. in, like, on a Saturday night. You will, you will feel feelings, like, that you as a human have forgotten you've had since childhood, because nothing has made you feel that sad since childhood. <laughs> but, um, basically, that's Makoto Shinkai's deal. And the reason why his films have never broke, but the reason why his films have never broken out is because though that deal never came with a happy ending. So in your name, 
they find each other at the end. Like, you, you understand that they become a couple and, like, probably get married and have kids and all that shit. But in every other Makoshin Guy movie before, the characters may find each other, but they never get to be together. Then There is this constant denial of a traditional romantic story happy ending for in Makoto Shinkai movies because they're not pitched as romantic love stories. They're pitched as romantic tragedies, almost. Um, the film he made before your name, Garden of Words, is, once again, they, like, get to be together in the rain in a public park and then, like, time moves on. And it... So, that as many anime fans who are coming to Makoto Shinkai's film through Your Name or through Now Weathering With You don't really get, is, like, this is what he does. Like, these long, drawn-out, they don't get to, like time or space or magic separates them and then they get smashed together is what he does except the smash the like final smashing together and final like they get to be together usually doesn't happen and so several times in and I've got I've got notes here several times in weathering with you I had moments like oh yeah I'm watching a Makoto Shinkai movie okay and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I'm saying that the meteoric ascendance of your name is not the it was because he managed to add an ending on that like the heart could not break at, and that's really that's really what he did with the with your name that's different than his previous movies. Um, except for Children Who Chase Lost Voices. That's supposed to be a Miyazaki ripoff. That's not very good. I have not seen it! Um, but... The, so there's... <sighs> Weathering With You is not as good as your name. Full stop. Weathering With You is not... Even as good as it is not as good as life is short as the night is short. Walk on, girl. Full stop. Weathering with you is an okay move. It's like an okay to decent to good, not great. Like love story, star-crossed lovers thing. And I, I'm gonna. Uh, if I seem like I'm pausing a lot, it's because I'm actually reading from notes. But it does have it does have its good part. It is astonishingly beautiful. It is beyond it. It is all the budget and majesty that Comics Wave can throw at a film, thrown at a film. Because now, not only do they have years of practice of making jaw-droppingly gorgeous films. They have your name to be able to go to a production committee or like go to be able to go to financers and say, "We made your name. Give us all the money. Just like give us the 
your bank records and let us have the money. And you see that in this movie with the the way they use water and like this movie is literally dripping, drenched in water. Um and that we'll get back to the water stuff later, I promise. But So, in the way that Studio Ghibli is interested in the natural world, Comics Wave as a studio is seemingly interested in the designed and built, created human, like, human habitat world. Um, how should I put this? It's very rare. It's very rare for for a for a prop for an for a studio that doesn't specialize in things like um, cyberpunk or um, sci-fi to be really fascinated by a lived-in city environment. I mean, we we see it, and it's not uncommon, but um, a couple great examples off the top of my head. Um, Dorara is a great example of a city feeling like a character and people paying attention to, and a studio and a property paying attention to, like, a, a intense city setting. Um, Ghost of the Shell, of course. It's, like, signature... Inspired by Chinese, by China, overbuilt Kowloon Walled City esque environments. Um, hilariously, and this is going to sound insane. Tenchi in Tokyo. You've probably never seen Tenchi in Tokyo because it has been mind mind wiped from a lot of people. But it's a, it's basically a continuation of the Tenchi Muyo series, where Tenchi goes to college in Tokyo. Um, I think even might go to Tokyo U. It's from, like, the late to mid-90s. And it is wild. But what it also is, is it's the series' first real foray into... This is Tenchi in a city environment. This is Tenchi hanging out with a girl he lo- he has a huge crush on in, like, an ice... At, like, an ice cream parlor... In Tokyo. And the reason why I'm focusing so much on the setting of um, of a city when it comes to Weathering With You is because Weathering With You is about people who live in cities. It is, and it, it, it gets, it understands that cities are these weird things that aren't equal across the board, across an entire city. There are sections of cities that are just fucked up, and nobody knows how to unfuck them. There are sections of cities that are gorgeous. There are sections of cities that are functional, and there are sections of cities that are aesthetic, and there are sections of cities that are functional for all the wrong reasons. Um, a great example of a section of a city that's fucked, that's, like, terminally fucked, and people don't know how to fix it, is if you go 
in New York, if you're in New York City, and you go out to the Bronx. The way the Bronx looks is, like, screwed up. And the way the Bronx has been built as, like, this weird fucking brick nightmare has messed with the Bronx since, you know, that, ha since, I think, Ed Koch, Mayor Koch, of New York Mayor Koch, approved those things. But that has fucked up the Bronx since, basically. Like, the Bronx had always been this, like, because of these huge, towering project apartments, it had always been slightly sketchier, slightly more fucked up, slightly, like, rougher edge, because someone other than the plate, like, the city decided to fuck with it in the name of good, and it just didn't, it didn't go well, man. It didn't, it, like, didn't, didn't take. Um, great example of a city where everything's super unbalanced is actually Philadelphia. At one, this is a true story, because I used to go to, um, <laughs> hilariously, in another terminally fucked and gleaming city on the hill, Wilmington. I used to go to school in Wilmington, Delaware, but I... You can walk, if you know what you're doing, and if you understand, like, visual cues of, there's a person on PCP, like, down the street, don't go down that street. You can walk from one end of Philadelphia to the other, like, in 30 minutes, or in 20 minutes, in 20 minutes, at one at night, and be totally fine. Totally fine, you can be by yourself, you'll be fine. Man, woman, you would be fine. You would not see another soul. Um, but you can also fuck that up and, like, encounter a bunch of fucking meth heads burning a mattress in the streets. Philadelphia kind of has always been a street-by-street -street friggin', um, situation. And if you know what you're doing, you're fine. If you don't, you could fuck it up and have a real bad night. Um, maybe wake up in an ER somewhere. Who knows? Um, but in I'm gonna make a lot of references to um your name because that's the best comparison point to weathering with you, and you'll see why as we go through the episode. But in your name, in your name you saw this, like, surface view of the city because you're spending half of your time in the country. And then, ultimately, you spend a lot more time in the city, and you see this kind of loneliness of living in a city. But what you don't see is you don't see that, like, variation in this place, this part of the city's fucked up, this part's not. In Weathering With You, you see, like, a, pit, a key point of the movie, a key... A key area of the movie is this fucked up abandoned building with a shrine on top of it. And it's like, it's very clear that the building had not been knocked down because the shrine is on top of it. But it has also not been cared for. <laughs> at all. <laughs> so it's just this rust, it's this tower of rust and like, nails. It's just not, it's super not safe, but they just like, well, the shrine's there, we're not going to fuck with the shrine, because that seemed bad. Let's just leave it there. But, what 
you also see is you see like you see so like gamers booths that you can rent out for 24 hours at a time and like people live in those you see hostess clubs and like brothels and all the kind of like all the underbelly stuff that exists in every city and if you sit with a if you sit with a city for long enough you know where all that stuff is if you so choose for example Eighth Avenue in New York is a trash pile it's Getting different. Not necessarily better, but different. But 8th Avenue is where, like, you go to see you go to see a peep show. It's where you go to find all of the... Many of the strip clubs. Um, it's where you go if you want to buy yourself some DVDs. Illicit or otherwise. Um, but... It's... Uh, but you, if you've, if you were just kind of speeding through it, you might notice some like neon signs that say some odd things or advertising twenty-five cent shows or whatever. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't click in your head. In weathering with you, all that stuff clicks and all that stuff makes sense. And that's one of the things I really like about it is that. It has, it takes its time to meander and show you the city so you, so like, the city becomes defined for you. And this hap this happens in a major way in the, like, last third of the movie when, um, the three, like, main characters are, um, looking for a place to stay because they've, They've been caught by the authorities and they need to, like, hide. And they're going to, like, every love hotel in the city. And they finally find one that takes them. And you see the inside and you're like, oh, uh, like, nice ho hotel la lady. Like, let them, let them book a room. And it's, like, definitely, it is a love hotel room. Like, the toilet, the freaking bathtub is a jacuzzi that glows purple. They have a like the food slot. They have a karaoke machine on the bed. <laughs> and <laughs> that that's something I think the movie gets really right. When it gives itself the time to meander and like seep itself in the setting, you feel like you're in a real you feel like you're in a real version of Tokyo. And that's really great. Uh, but the movie, like I said, the movie is not, if you're looking for something as good as your name, this movie is not it. And I think that's, I think that's a lot because it buckles under what it's trying to do because of the unintended consequences. So, a perfect example. Um... I need to pick which... Actually, I'm going to give you two examples. The first example is the easier one. It's In the early part of the movie, you meet the um, main character whose name... You meet the main character, and he is just this kid who had run away from home because his parents are stifling because it's a Makoto Shinkai movie, and the other thing you need to know is that 
you know, anime hates adults. If you're over 30, you're dead inside. Um, and so he runs away, and he's, you know, sleeping in a gamer booth. Um, and he, um, stumb- and, and they report these, like, gangsters who have a bunch of guns, which you need to understand in Japan, having a gun, if you're not a cop, and even if you are a cop, is very complicated and very frowned upon. Um, that ends up, me- that ends up meaning that he, um, that they try and get all these guns off the streets. What that turns into is, um, the main character of Weathering with You, the lead male character, um, um, Hodoka, uh, no, not Hodoka, um, no, Hodoka, find the gun in a bag in, like, a diner somewhere. <laughs> and it's like, it, it, he's not sure that it's real, because he's never seen a real one. So he's just like, like, oh, this this is weird. Pockets it. And that's not super uncommon for a, you know, person to do, much like a homeless person who's like, this is a real gun. This will keep me safe. If it's not, oh well. Pocket. And that comes in later in the show, but because as someone who has fired a gun before, as someone who is actually a deeply good marksman, like anything I can aim and is a projectile, I can like get it down within a couple of minutes. It's a little disturbing. Um, but the difference between a fake gun and a real gun is like an ocean. And even if you've never seen a real handgun before, the second you hold one, you know it's real. <laughs> like, you can feel the weight of it, that, like, there's nothing quite, there's nothing really the same, so to speak. Um, so that, that makes it feel less real, and that makes it feel less surprising when the gun fires a couple scenes later, and also it, in America, and, it, how should I put this? Anime directors who have huge who have huge screen credits now need to understand that they are no longer playing in the realm of you know fantasized um what they're no longer playing in a world of fantasy they are playing in a world that said, hey, um, we, we, we understand what we're doing, and we understand what we're saying, and we understand what these scenes will mean to other people, um, 
outside of Japan, and the way they treat the like the the object of the gun is a very Japanese understanding of guns and gun violence and you know gun rights, and they know that it will play all over the world, including in America, where that is a very real well like. A kid fighting a gun and almost shooting somebody is a very real, sometimes weekly, thing that just happens. And so it feels less like, oh, holy shit, it's real, and more, oh yeah, it's a real gun. Okay, moving on, next plot point. Um, and that that's a lot of the problem with the movie, actually, and I, I'm... Looking at my notes, scrolling through my notes app here, and I, a lot of a lot of the notes really boil down to there's a lot of loose ends in this movie. There's a ton of loose ends. There's a ton of stuff that they start to talk about that just doesn't go anywhere. That 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 they there's a ton of there's a ton of issues subbing themselves in for plot reasons, if that makes sense. For example, um, Hodoka, the main male lead, wants to... basically ran away from home because his parents were too stifling. But they don't... It's almost like the movie's uninterested in showing you what that means, because it just doesn't. Like, it just, it's like, nope. We don't care. We like a better way to handle that is to show Hodoka in the environment and make him understand and like have you the viewer understand why he left than just say like my parents are stifling. Because the difference there is and I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a lot of like tiny rewrite moments of this because I can't stand it because I've been thinking about it for a week and it's been driving me nuts since I saw it. Uh, a, the difference between the two is if you say, my parents are just so stifling and you don't show it, it sounds like a kid, like a asshole teen just being like, just having a temper tantrum that you've taken entirely too far and somehow you start rooting for the cops to catch him and send him back to his parents, which does happen eventually, but that's not what the movie wants you to do. What they, what showing him in that situation and showing his interactions with his parents and all this other stuff does, is it sets it up so you're on his side when he leaves, or you're on his side the second you come back from the flashback. Or, you aren't on his side, but you understand his point of view. You're not given a reason to, um, you're not given a reason to want to root for Hodoka running away from home. You're just given a reason that he does, and those are different things. Um... So, when I talked about loose ends, that's not all that I meant. I, what I also mean is, 
you know, by this point in the movie, it's talked about two, it talked about three major things. And it'll continue to talk about three major things until the movie's done. And those major things are homelessness in Japan, which is a real thing. Um, and I'm not saying, like, a real thing, like, it exists. I'm saying, like, it's a very specific real thing. It's talking about guns, which we all know is a real thing in the same way. Um, and it's talking about climate change. And the reason why I'm saying it's talking about climate change is because um, I mentioned that this movie is gorgeous, and part of the reason for that is that it's like the like artifice of the story is that Hina, the main the main love the female love interest, is what they call what they call the sunshine girl. What the um what the um uh what the um writer Ket Kesuke Suka who runs this like gossip mag magazine refers to as the sunshine girl and what um also what um what net what um Natsu Natsumi referred to as the sun sunshine girl more readily um but Natsumi are both referring to um he both refer to who they don't know as Hina the sunshine girl and who's actually the weather maiden and basically the weather maiden is a super old Japanese folktale that says like weather maidens had the power to like change the weather if they pr by praying with all their hearts and Hina is an actual weather maiden she passed through a shrine gate when um her mother was ill and dying and also before we get to this stuff you should also know Hina is homeless and living with her little brother is parentless and living with her little brother which is frowned upon and illegal if you don't have permission <laughs> Um, <laughs> at least this show is like, yeah, we're not just going to let teens be loose in the city. That seems dangerous and like a bad idea. Um, so there is a point in the movie at which the police show up at her apartment and are like, yo, there are no adults. We're going to come and get you. We're going to come and get you tomorrow with child social services. Don't move. Of course, they run away. But, um, Hina is... The weather is the weather maiden, and basically, she the movie takes her weather maidenness and turns it into like a they become like freelance sun callers, basically. Um, Hina, um, Hodaka, and Hina's little brother, um, blah, 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 um Nagi. All become like sun, like freelance sun callers, and they make they make a lot of money. They, you know, you they use Hina's powers to, you know, have her pray for sunshine so it stops raining. And the, but the thing about 
this world's Tokyo is that it's always raining. And that it's always a... It's always a rainy day. It's always like... It's like London except plus rain all the time. Constantly. Like, it never stops raining. And the only time it seems to stop raining in the movie is when Hina prays for sunshine and it... And the sun comes. The, the clouds break and God rays come down and she's... And, and the, like it lasts for like in a localized area, like, a couple hours or whatever. And as the movie goes on, the rain becomes more and more torrential and more and more severe until maybe, like, two, until two-thirds way through the movie when you find out, at this point you found out that Hina's actually a weather maiden, not just a sunshine girl. And at the end of this whole process, in order to get the weather back under control, Hina gets taken up into, like, the Sky Garden or whatever the fuck. Um, which, by the way, very cool. Not explained and not sat on at all that clouds just have whole, like, other worlds on top of them. Um, with, like, water whales and tiny water fish and bullshit. Um, but... If you've been paying attention to the weather lately, you can see kind of where I'm going to go with this. This is very clearly a conversation about, very clearly could have been a conversation about Gen Z, because these kids are in their early teens, they're like 15, 16, although Hina lies and says she's 18, so she can work. Um... Because when you meet her, initially she's working at McDonald's and she gives Hodaka a burger for free because she's like, you're definitely a homeless kid, here's some food. Um, but... She, uh, this is a lot about the younger generation dealing with, trying their best to deal with global warming. That is really what it feels like that part of the story is saying. And, like, even in the fact that Hina ultimately ends up being taken away by the weather itself, it feels like a conversation being had about, like, them not being able to do it. Because no one stepped up to help. And even if they did step up to help, they didn't help enough. And all around the... In Tokyo, Tokyo eventually falls into, like, massive, torrential fucking rain. Like, mass flooding throughout Tokyo. Shit goes underwater. There's, like, six feet of water. Like, the and so they do a really... They have a really smart... Um, spatial storytelling construction in the use of a garden apartment, which if you don't know what a garden apartment is, um, in cities, there's, like, street-level apartments, and then there's apartments that are in, like, skyscrapers and shit, but there's also what they call garden apartments, which are apartments that are technically underground, and you need to go down through the quote-unquote garden to get into 
Um, these are common in places like Queens in New York. Um, but that's what they're called. They're called garden apartments. But the gossip mag that um, that Hodaka works for is in a is located in a garden apartment in Tokyo, and he. So when the when the city starts flooding, you can actually see the water creep up outside the window of the garden apartment, and you understand how deep, like, how much water has fallen. Um, the... So, they find out that Hina, like, Hodaka and Nagi and Hina find out they are ultimately going to, that Hina's ultimately going to die, basically. Um, if she keeps praying. And she... And... At this point, Hodaka finally confesses his feelings, or is ready to confess his feelings. He buys her a ring, um, very heavy, like, we're gonna be together forever, baby, vibes. And then, he gives her the ring, and she starts to, like, he goes to try to give her the ring, and she starts to almost float away, and comes back down to Earth. And that's when you, as a viewer, are like, that's where you and the viewer are like, oh, yeah, I guess I am watching a Makoto Shinkai joint. This is how this is gonna go? Gotcha. But I'm also watching a post-your-name Makoto Shinkai joint, so the crying will end if it ever comes. And, but the, the problem is, is that this movie is, and I have this in my notes, this movie is too big for its own good. And I don't mean that it's too long. I don't mean that it's too lavish. I think that it's a good length. That it's, And I already said I think it's absolutely stunning. If you see this movie for no other reason than to stare at just, like, the beauty and, like, wonder that they've created in this in Weathering With You, then go for it. Like, it, that alone is worth the ticket price. But... By the point at which they're dealing with the, like, um, romantic part of the plot, which is the main, really the main part of the plot, they, they have introduced the specter of global warming as a concept. They've introduced something so big that, the, that like, these kids will be lucky if they live through it. Like, the world will be lucky if it lived. They've introduced fucking global warming. We know what it means. Um, and what that turns, what that makes you feel when you're dealing with the kind of, like, earth-shattering stuff of, like, her making the rain stop by sacrificing herself and all that other stuff, is it just makes it feel... It makes it feel it makes it feel not as earth shattering as you want it to when you're watching a movie like this. Like when so for example, I'm gonna go back to your name here. When Taki finds out that Mitsuha died not only in the country, but three years ago, and as a result of this massive natural disaster he gets thrown into this moment of obsession. And where he obsesses over it for years. And where he, like, 
and ultimately that builds and builds and builds until he's doing whatever he can to, like, have Misaha in his life again. And that is this beautiful, stunning um, display of, like, love, but also of logic and of time and of, you know, stuff being built up over time because he truly cares about her and truly wants to be with her and it just doesn't it doesn't feel the same because between the global warming thing between the existent between the existential crisis of our time rearing its head and you know you not being given all the right pieces to empathize with Hodaka as a character who ran away from home. Um, it just, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel as heartbreaking. It doesn't feel as, like, it. I watched this whole, I watched, this is what I'm going to say. I watched a whole Makoto Shinkai movie without welling up in tears. Now, admittedly, I know I'm somewhat dead inside at this point, as many millennials are. Yeah. But it just doesn't... Like, that shouldn't happen. Somebody who is so masterful at finding the heartstrings and not even tugging at them, like, yanking them like he's playing a freaking... Like he's playing piano on your heart. For that to not hit, that's just, there's no other way to put it, but it's it's an unsuccessful attempt, basically. Um, I don't want to say a failure because it, like, there will be people who will cry at this movie. I, I understand that. But, so, when we got out of the movie, I was talking to these two guys who had also gotten out of it, and we were all talking about the movie, and I said, hey, if you want, if you want a really good demonstration of this movie, go watch Five Centimeters, go, not Five Centimeters per second, go watch Voices of a Distant Star. I committed the emotional war crime of telling another human, go watch a movie in which your own heart will feel like it wants to rip itself out of its chest. And the reason why I did that was because the emotion, the the emotions that they're dealing with in Voice of a Distant Star and in Your Name and in Five Centimeters Per Second and in Garden of Words and in Now Weathering with You are all the same thing. But because Makoto Shinkai didn't feel the need to have a Hollywood ending to his movies before what before weather, Now Weathering with You because. He just kind of did it with your name. Um, he kind of like was just like, "What if I?" Huh? And everyone was like, "Yes, more of that, please." Um, he because he now feels like he has to have these Hollywood endings. It rends the middle part kind of weak because you realize you're watching a post your name. You, you realize. As you're watching Weathering With You, you're watching a post-your-name Makoto Shinkai film, 
and that you know that it's going to be okay. You don't know how it's going to be okay. You don't you know that they'll be together at the end of the movie. That it will write itself in such a way that they'll be fine. You don't need to worry. And it just it's not and like and like I said, the other unique thing about this is because this movie is so is so much bigger than itself with all this other stuff it's bringing up, it just doesn't... Like... They clearly... They, they all get their shit together, and they all, like... Like, they... Hodoka and Hina go into high school, and they get to be together after they graduate high school. But, yo, Hodoka's still fucking homeless. And Hina's still had no parental supervision for that entire time. What the fuck? Like, I, I, so, um, Zach Birchie puts it, put it this way, and I think it's really smart. The kind of base sentiment of both Weathering With You and Your Name is, if you find somebody to be with, that's all that mattered. And I agree with that. I agree 100% with that statement. But if that's your goal as the story, you have to be really careful about what you complicate it with. You need to be really careful about the fact that maybe you don't complicate the story of these two finally get to be together with a pan-out shot of fucking Tokyo under the ocean. <laughs> Like, almost under the ocean, and you don't have conversations with side characters like, oh yeah, I used to live there, but that's underwater now. And it's okay, Tokyo just returning to its natural state. Like, fuck, no it's not, it's murdering people. Um, by the bucket load, that's what, that, like, that is what happened, no joke, in, like, end of times global warming scenarios is when cities start is, so for example i live in new jersey you, at all times in new jersey you are about you are no more than 2 hours away from the beach at all times in new jersey oftentimes you're no more than 30 minutes away from the beach in new jersey and what that means for global warming, in terms of global warming, is sea rise of couple feet means the state gets a lot fucking smaller real quick. Because what you don't realize about New Jersey is it is basically a peninsula. It's almost an island, but it, we've got like one piece of us still connected. And A, that could turn us into an island real quick because it could wash that shit out. It could also shrink the state dramatically. And we're also the, the most overpopulated state in the United States, which means people get smushed, and which means people can't get out in time, people are ignored, and people die. It's not global... And I can't believe I have to do this on this fucking podcast, God. And that's really the most frustrating... That's... The most frustrating... The most fun thing about weathering with you is it is it focuses on a love story. 
and you get you get to escape the reality of the world and watch this awesome animated film about characters in love. The most frustrating thing about weathering about weathering with you compared to your name is it keeps injecting all of these parts of real life in into the story so you're forced to acknowledge them constantly and it get it gets in the way of your enjoyment of the movie case in point the end of the movie where the old woman is talking about freaking Tokyo returning to its original state is so existentially terrifying that because it makes you think about Tokyo the way people think about Venice. It makes you think about major cities in the world the way people think about Venice, which is, if I don't get there in time, I will never be able to see it because it will be under... Ten feet of fucking water. And, like, I, I'm being hyperbolic right now, I know. I'm like, I'm, you're probably like, it's probably like a nine, but you're at eleven. I'm like, no, this shit is at, like, like you think it's at a nine. This sh- I'm at eleven. This shit is like... It makes you feel like it's up at 20. It's like, and then it started snowing, and it never stopped. Until it started raining again. And you're just like, fuck. This is bad. Can we still give them the girl? Can, like, can we, can we kill Hina? Will that work? Um, but, the, I, I will say the one true, and, and maybe, so maybe, since he has found a way found a way to make movies that don't that end in traditionally happy endings, he's like injected a sense of dread and sadness that was missing from your name that he wanted to put back in weathering with you because he's like it's been a while since I've made people feel bad. Here we go. And but the the thing the movie also says, the thing the movie does well with its fumbling of climate change is it does, it washes the hands of of the character of Hina and Hodoka and also Nagi because the, what the movie seems to try to say about Hina not wanting to sacrifice herself, is that it's her fault. And she, as a character, starts to feel like the rain never stopping is her fault. And you see a moment, there's a confrontation on the street when a cop thinks, like, hey, I found these kids who have gone missing, and, like, who are fugitives, technically. And Hina freaks out and causes lightning to strike a truck and make it fucking blow up. And so... That makes Hina the character feel like, and even Hodoka and Nagi as characters feel like, Hina is in control of all this. Like, this is in Hina's control to stop or let continue. And Hina makes the choice to go back up into the sky, to, like, get whisked away into the sky. But... Hodoka, like, is like, no, fuck this. 
I'm going to get my girlfriend. I'm like going to, like, she knows how I feel now. I'm going to get her. And the whole world tries to stop him. And th this is, this is, this is really what I took away from them, and this is what Zach was talking about and what I kind of took away from the movie, is that every adult in this movie has an ulterior motive, and that is different with grades of adults. Um, right up until you get to the old lady um, who seems to be Mizuha's grandmother. Um, um, because Mizuha and Taki, from your name, make cameo appearances in this movie, boy. Like, they, they spell their names one letter off, so, like, maybe it's not them, but you're like, oh, fuck, okay. This is, this is, this is that Makoto Shinkai go read the, go, go read the manga moment. Okay. Sure. Um, but, so they, they, Mizuha's grandma is, like, nice, and unassuming, and, like, j like, sees these kids, and they want, and she wants them to be happy, and it's like, you should do what you want to be happy, darling, kind of thing, but every other adult in this, every other full-fledged adult in this movie either needs to come to a place where they, um, start, um, either need to come to a place where they start to see it from Hodoka and Hina's point of view, or they need to... Actually, that's not true, because um, Natsumi's a college student, but... So, Natsumi is not... Is like, is, like, an adult body, but, like, a child presence kind of thing, weirdly. Um, but... So, like, Keske is trying to get visitation rights and custody of his kid from his um... Um, what's it called? From his, from his, like, grandma, who basically treats him like he's a fucking layabout loser, like, involved with some bad shit bullshit. Um, and then you meet a detective who is, like, out to uphold the law with his fucking wiggly pompadour. Um, and when push comes to shove, they all, they, they try to take... Hodoka in because he had a gun and he's homeless and like a threat to society and all this other shit and Suga won't help him because he's just um what's it called it, like it would get him in trouble with like the pro child protective services people who would grant him rights to see his kid and there's this big tangling of adult responsibilities that get in the way of what really matters, which is the two kids being able to be together. And what that kind of translates at the end of it, it to is these kids realize that they don't have a responsibility to save all the fucking adults. Like, that that's not something that the that is guaranteed for everybody in Tokyo. Like, so... Well, I, as a millennial, have no responsibility to save a, you know, Gen X 
boomer whatever um person from flooding in Louisiana. I just I that, like that is not a responsibility that I bear. It's a re- it's a responsibility that because I'm younger than other people, uh, society has put on me and which I will at some point probably already have put on the generation under me, but that doesn't really f- fucking track. We can't all con- we can't one generation can't conquer global warming and one generation can't conquer like the existential problems of the universe. It has to be all of us or fucking none of us and it will eat us alive. And so like the end of the movie if it was more adept would it would have said in addition to you know it kept raining and then it started snowing and never stopped and blah 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 it would have added the line but that's not that's not up to us anymore that's not our our job isn't to bring sunshine and happiness into people's lives at the expense of sunshine at the expense of happiness in our own lives. Our job is to be two people in love and to be the best people we can be. If other people want if other people want to ask for our help in dealing with the fact that it never stops fucking torrential downpouring in Tokyo now, then we will help them figure out solutions. But we're done being the professional sun college. We're done being the people who fix it for the local farmer's market, for the fireworks display, for all this other shit. That's what it fe- that's what the movie feels like it wants to say, but where should I put this? It's not being blunt enough. And to its credit, if it would if the stakes were lowered, this movie would feel like that message came through clearly enough. But because the stakes are so high and so real and so relevant, it what it feels like is it feels like someone politely whispering when they should be screaming. If that makes any sense. Um, let me just take a stare at my notes. Because I took, I, I, I like, took notes. Um, I touched on the borrow time thing. Um, oh, so, um, the night... Makoto Shinkai had little details he likes to pay attention to in his movies, and the, one of the nice things was on Hina, she's always wearing this choker with this little water droplet jewel, and it's the signifier of she is the weather maiden. And once she is no longer the weather maiden, you see her and Taki, like, lying on the floor in front of the shrine, and the choker just snapped. Just, like, broken. And it, it, it this and when you first encounter Hina at the very beginning of the movie, she does she's not wearing the choker at all. So it's just, it's just a nice little 
character design touch that, like, lets you know where her character is at at any given point, and that's really nice. Um, what else do I want to talk about? Um, oh, they need to have people fucking kiss at the end of these movies, goddammit. I'm like, yeah. call me dumb. Call me dumb. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm really tired. I'm really tired of romantic stories not showing a real romance. Not showing a... Not, Romantic movies and shows have a tendency to want you to fill in the gaps. But the ones that do that like do things that we remember are the ones that fill in the gaps for you. They are the ones that that really tug at you because you see you see what those characters are dealing with and how they behave. I know I'm not talking about like, I want them to fuck on screen 24-7. I want fucking Makoto Shinkai movie porn. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is it's very rare that especially, and this is part of cultural norms and blah, 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 blah. I get it. I get it. I understand. But it's very rare for a anime property to, you know, take to take a stand and say, "No, we're going to show a real human relationship beyond friendship as an actual like functioning couple." A great example of this, a fabulous example of this, that is all about the being the life cycle of an actual couple, is Kano, otherwise known as His and Her Circumstances. They. I mean, they don't show them fucking, but they drive the point home that they did sleep together and they did have sex and they are like a real couple and they show them function as such and they show them slowly grow apart and slowly change and it like, you feel for those characters even though they're fictional because you get to see the whole depths of the relationship one of the geniuses of Dorara, a show that weirdly I like reference a lot in my head when I think about weathering with you, um, probably because of like urban legends and existing in a city. Um, but one of the geniuses of Dorara is they demystify the like most mysterious character in that sh- most mysterious characters in that show. Through their relationships with other pe- with other characters, so like, um, Selfie, prime example, is in a like is the living girlfriend of another character, and they are ha- they are not only happy together, but they are like deeply in love with each other, beyond the shadow of a doubt, and they like. I, so let me be clear: they probably fuck. <laughs> to be really vulgar about it. But they 
that's not what I, like I said, I'm not after, like, wanting to know the characters fuck, but I'm after wanting to know that they are really emotionally attached to each other. And especially in a Makoto Shinkai film, where it, the film is all about that, the, like, his stuff is all about being emotionally attached to other characters, I don't... I feel like they love each other, but I don't feel like they love each other beyond time and space, if that makes any sense. And that I think that's important, that by the end of a Makoto Shinkai film that is all about finding the one who you think you belong with and holding on to them as tight as you can, no matter what, I, I feel like that's an important feeling to come away from the movie with. And this movie makes you feel like they think that's true, but they don't know it's true. And characters like... But they also don't... They don't give you enough of them not knowing it's true to set up something set up something for you in your head like his and her circumstances, where they grow apart and where they grow out of being a couple almost by the end by the end of that movie, by the end of that show, and certainly by the end of that um manga series, they're like in different places as people. Um but um it's just it's like I, that's what I mean that's what I mean when I say I wanna see characters in these movies, kiss. And I don't necessarily want to see, you know, um, a character, like, I don't need to see them fuck, but I need to see, like, I need to see unequivocal proof that they are, like, like I, I need to see the relationship in action. And I, I got, we got a little bit of that, but, like, in the final, before the final act of the movie, in, like, the middle act, when they're, like, in the, in the love hotel, and she takes her robe off, and she's, like, all, like, clear fucking jello, and it's, but it's still an intimate, like, private moment, it, but it doesn't, that felt so plot-heavy that it didn't feel like this is just them being together. It never feels like they're just together in this movie oftentimes um I, also and i understand that uh, uh, as somebody who is classically trained in animation i understand the strong bond between animation and music but gentle radwimp songs did not cut it in this fucking movie there was nothing, there was no, there was no song in, um, Weathering With You that is as good as the opening song for your name. The, like, that, I forget what the name of the song is, but the, the song, like, when, when the, you see the opening for your name, you're just like, I don't know what it is, but I'm here for it. And just the the music just didn't 
it didn't do what it needed to, and it didn't, like, pull you along, and it's just, like, it's not, it's certainly not as memorable, and it certainly doesn't connect up with the scenes as well as the music in Your Name did. Um... I, I and I, I mentioned the, my last note here is, um, my my last two notes are for bait. Oh, I wanted to read a note because this is pretty funny. Um, where is it? <laughs> Your name, but holding a gun in the rain is what is my favorite note. Um, is how I would describe, um, weathering with you. And then, uh, I want to read this note verbatim, and it's, What happened to the Shinkai who hates happiness and lives off the salt of otaku tears, fresh, freshly wept by grown men? Which, once again, if you're like, the fuck? Go watch. Seriously, go find and watch. I think you'd be able to, like, rent it or find it somewhere. Um, go find and watch. Voices of a Distant Star. You, you will be like, this is what he used to make? Holy shit! No wonder nobody liked his movies. They probably couldn't talk to another human for weeks because they were afraid that that human would be like, I'm leaving you. <laughs> um, and then also, the Sky World is cool. I want more of it. Yeah, like, I, so I mentioned this earlier, and that this is going to be my last thought here, because we're already up to almost an hour and a half. Um, I wanted more of, like, a exploration of the sky world in, um, in, in like, the Weather Maiden concept thing. Like, so, like, if you ever seen Howl's Moving Castle... Hell's Moving Castle has, like, a scene, uh, has this scene that it alludes to at first, and then it ultimately shows, it ultimately shows Hal as a little boy eating a star. And until you see that, until you're shown that memory as the viewer and as Sophie, and, and along with Sophie, you get little flashes but you get just enough that by the time you see th this moment in the field where Hal catches a star and he eats it whole as a little kid, it's it's affecting and like you you have this like base you have this base knowledge that lets you understand where you are and what you're seeing and everything connects up. And it confirms that, like, Calcifer is Hal's heart and all this other junk. It confirms all this, like, uh, unexplained innuendo they keep, um, dodging the question on for the entire movie. When you finally see the, like, world of the sky, the cloud world, it just... It just poses more questions. You don't... And they, they try to do the Howl's Moving Castle thing by focusing on these water fish that keep showing up and, like, evaporating, but they don't explain it. 
they don't explain that they're like these water sprites that will ultimately eat this poor little girl whole, which is what you can like infer, but it doesn't. We put it this way. You shouldn't have to like go on a brick building mission to understand a movie. A movie should lay it all out in front of you and trust a a, sto a good story lays all the pe all, lays itself out in front of you and trust that you on that you're smart enough to deal with it. Your name just feels like in terms of the sky world the cloud world stuff, it feels like it wants to believe that you're not smart enough, so why bother explaining, so to speak. And on that note, since it's been a half hour, if you liked this episode, um, go subscribe in your podcast um, listening app of choice and leave me a five-star review on iTunes if that's where you listen. It really helps the show. Um, I have been Alex, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio, and until... It's until next time, I will talk at you later.